0: So welcome to Critter Kibbles. This is the Aliens episode, also known as the Anniversary episode. Yeah, the,
1: the Season 1 episode.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's probably the bigger point of this. Yeah.
1: Although um, we do have like a, a lot of alien shit in this, it's just...
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, some of us more
1: than others. Hey, shut up. But... <laughs> Bitch, I'll cut you. I'm, I'm sorry, Chris. You knew the assignment. Yep. I did a lot more than I usually do. I usually do like two things. <laughs> well you know, motherfucker I have given up <laughs> some
0: some of us some of us show up with like a slap together volcano uh, like a where are you um, going with this a slap
1: together um, baking soda volcano ba- yeah, at the ba- science ba- fair yeah, okay like I'll finish your together, fucking analogy for
0: you thank, I appreciate that <laughs> yeah and then others of us will come out with like a full flying
1: car but
0: um, that's okay
1: that they can't remember how to how to talk about
0: Look, words are hard. <laughs> look, yeah, look how many you put on the fucking document, you asshole. Well, yeah, but that's because I have the benefit of hindsight, um, time, and and autocorrect. Oh. And spell check, and grammar check, and like two weeks to think. Yeah. So we're going to get into this. Um,
1: I've got a lot. Chris has got some. I've got enough. We're gonna. I got more than I, than we usually have in a usual critter kibbles episode. Yeah, this is. So when you
0: said, "Hey, let's do this episode longer and bigger," mm-hmm. I took it to heart. Yeah,
1: you did. And I decided like, that every I was... time I opened the the document to work on it, it was just like it kept expanding. Like when we had, we because we keep like five episodes per document on this, and. Uh... When I first opened it, it was like, okay, like four pages or so, because it was all the old episodes, plus the notes we'd taken for stuff we wanted to do for this one. And then like every time I would open it to work on it, it just kept expanding, and then it was like 21 pages. And I was like, Jesus Christ, man, what are you doing?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to go back and forth on various categories here. Um, My segments are going to be longer.
1: Yeah. Bear with me. Bear with you. Bear with me. Come on, Chris, (laughs) bear with me now. Are you trying to tell us that there's a bear in the studio right now? A bear with you?
0: There might be. Anyway, um, so I decided we're going to do something that we've never done on this podcast that is, uh, at least twenty five percent about D and D.
1: Be entertaining and competent. No. Oh, Okay.
0: We're gonna roll a die.
1: Oh, good for us.
0: <laughs> so we're gonna roll a die to see who goes first in this uh, trade-off. High or low? High goes first. Okay. So I'll, I'll roll for. I will roll first. I got a nine. I got a 14. All right, so Chris, you're going to lead us off. Good then, for me. Um, yeah, you'll do one one category of things, of things. Um, and then I will do one category, and then okay. at, at some point in the future, you'll do your second, and so on and so forth. Right.
1: <laughs> Tomorrow, I'll do more. <laughs> um, okay, so like, the first thing I came up with was another subclass, because that's what I have done a lot in the, uh, the Critter Kibbles.
0: And I would argue that you're pretty good with them. Yeah.
1: This was kind of the opposite of my uh, Urban Protector subclass that I made for the uh, Attack the Block episode. The Lost episode. The Lost episode. Although we did end up getting the, the stab blocks that put up. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that one was about um, acting as like a commander for your party and like giving them bonuses and helping them out and stuff like this. This is about fighting alone. Like when your fighter is alone.
0: So. Or at least like
1: not surrounded by friends.
0: Okay. Uh, well. We'll see where this goes. Yeah,
1: yeah. All right. Uh, so this is the action survivor subclass based okay. off of characters like Ellen Ripley and any number of like final girls or final survivors from different horror movies. Yeah.
0: When I saw, like, I, I read through the uh, the titles of what you've done. I have not read the mm-hmm. actual descriptions of what you wrote. But when I saw that, my first thought was Arnold Schwarzenegger from Predator. Right, so. yeah. Okay, yeah
1: uh so uh the first ability on that is called never quit uh when you choose this archetype at third level you gain expertise in the survival skill in addition all constitution saving throws are made are at advantage you also gain proficiency in improvised weapons melee
0: okay so that's a that's a through line that we have pretty frequently or more frequently than i thought in uh in Kibble's episodes and all things, right. is we really like improvised weapons. Yeah, we like hitting stuff with other stuff. <laughs> yeah. So. And so, this is yet yeah, another method of, yeah. all, of uh, the, implementing that. That
1: doesn't really come up too much in the other stuff. It's just a bonus that you have. Yeah, for, yeah. First level or for sure. third level. Uh, also, at third level, you gain used to being alone. Uh, starting at third level, you gain certain advantages while fighting alone. Whenever you make a melee attack and have no allies within 5 feet of the target, add an extra d6 of damage. This increases to a d8 at 10th level and a d10 at 15th. Okay. Pretty simple. Mm -hmm. In addition, the first time an ally is reduced to 0 HP in a combat, you receive 5 temporary hit points. This increases to 10 at level 10 and 20 at level 15. Oh,
0: dang. Mm -hmm. Okay. So... Gives you the uh, the inspiration to yeah, keep on fighting. When
1: somebody goes down. And it's only the first one. Right, right. It doesn't so you, happen it doesn't every stack. time. Yeah.
0: Right. But does but it does it happen like is this a recharge thing or is it per combat?
1: It's per combat. So okay. But like the way temporary hit points work is they wouldn't stack.
0: Right, right, so. right, right, right. So that's not, not that big of a No, problem. no. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh at seventh level you get uh so long as I'm faster than you. <laughs> uh your speed is increased by five feet. Sure. Which is nothing to sneeze at. Yeah. Uh, in addition, in combat, as long as at least one ally has a lower initiative count than you, you have advantage on the first melee attack you make each round.
0: Oh, wow. That's that's kind of bananas. I love
1: playing with stuff like that with with initiative. Yeah. Because it's, not, it's something that the game has to track, but you don't ever really get to use it as a resource. And I like using it as a resource.
0: And fifth edition... Like, I know that older editions tended to play a little bit more with initiative albeit mm-hmm. just usually like putting your turn off or whatever right, yeah um, whereas and fifth, fifth edition, edition hates it when you do that yeah fifth edition doesn't <laughs> do that so um i but i i'm always i always like when you come out with things outside of the box mm-hmm. a little bit so
1: i like using things as resources that the game doesn't necessarily want you to use as resources <laughs> Okay, uh, at 10th level, you gain Preparing for the Next Disaster, which gives you three Preparedness Dice. Okay. These dice are D6s that you can add to any skill check, spending the dice regardless if you succeed or fail. You may only add one dice to a singular skill check. You will gain all Preparedness Dice after a long rest. So just at any point in time... Mm-hmm. When you're doing a skill check, you can add one of those D6s
0: to the result. Can you do it even after finding out whether you've you've failed or uh i didn't specify that but uh no okay so we'll have to we'll have to add that so yeah you can only use the die before knowing the result. right okay because i i had a, a similar thing in one of mine yeah and it's like if you find out whether you succeed or failed it's pretty much that's because it, it's happened so yeah yeah that's generally uh okay so we'll, we'll add that in post
1: yeah. but no this this is like your character is preparing for an right, eventuality like, of some
0: kind almost like a uh, five perma, well five uh, like or how many four three three almost like three um, just perma bardic inspiration kind just, of kind yeah of. yeah yeah so
1: all right and at 15th level you get you are my lucky star okay um, as long as there are no allies within 20 feet of you you gain a bonus to your AC equal to the number of preparedness dice you have remaining Oh, wow. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. All
0: right. All right.
1: So, so you can either stock them, and oh, that's bonuses to your AC. Up to a plus three. That's, up to, that's not insignificant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or you can spend them for skill checks.
0: I can't see myself doing that too often if I was that, a player, but...
1: Yeah, that I was looking into making it more of a risk-reward style thing, where it's like, okay, maybe if you... When you stock them, you get bonuses to your AC, and when you spend them, you get bonuses to your damage or something like that.
0: Right, right. Like,
1: you get a bonus to your damage equal to the number of spent preparedness dice you have. Right. But I couldn't really figure out how to balance that, so... Yeah, I think it's
0: fine. Um,
1: I, I definitely
0: think that by that point, yeah, that I, I do not foresee a player yeah. using the preparedness dice to do that. But, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know how to fix that, so I think just leave as is so yeah okay so that's my subclass cool cool um and since that was the only subclass you did yep that's one category we're gonna jump over to me now okay so one of the big things that we decided to do with this was to look back at a lot of our old creatures and stat blocks and things and you would said like oh you know we can fix things that we weren't really happy Mm -hmm. with which uh neither of us did neither of us really did I fixed several things, I'll have you know. (laughs) We'll get to that. Um, But I did decide to add some things. Um, We haven't really done this since episode two.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: I decided to go through some of our creatures and give them layer actions that you can tack on to any encounter that these guys are in. Okay. Uh, with the understanding that obviously this would make, the, make the, their encounters a lot more difficult, I did not even begin to calculate challenge rating <laughs> Who changes. Knows? Uh, and I went the extra mile and described their layers wow. as well. So uh, buckle in. This I'm going to try to go through this as quick as I can. Okay. But first off, we've got the layer actions for the big man from uh, f- from Big Legend. Okay. Uh, big men temporarily lay all... <laughs> Okay. Fuck! Yeah. I, the plural was either going to be big men or big mans. So. It's just.
1: When you call your, your monster anything man, it just. All right, let, me, let that sink in. Yeah. So, big men. To...
0: It's very funny. I don't care. Big men typically layer in dense forests or jungles, tending to make their homes in caves or along natural embankments of land to offer some shelter from the elements. There's typically a water source nearby, sometimes even running through the big man's lair. Big men shelter in these areas during periods of rest or to survive particularly harsh weather conditions. Ah, resting big men. (laughs) Resting big men. Um, But they are seldom found actually within, uh, usually lurking around just out of sight. They primarily use their lairs to store their kills and stash their hordes. So, like any other lair action, um, or lair, is when fighting inside its lair, a... The creature, in this case, the big man, can invoke the ambient magic to take layer actions. On initiative count twenty, losing initiative ties, the big man takes a layer action to cause one of the following effects: blood wells up from the terrain, churning the soil and dirt into thick, muddy, bloody mud. The area within the layer becomes difficult terrain until initiative count twenty on the next round. Pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Um, or bones and dismembered parts from the big man's past victims emerge, filling the lair with a grim reminder of what is to come. All creatures in the lair, other than the big man, must uh, succeed on a DC-12 wisdom saving throw or become frightened by the big man. I'm frightened of most big men. (laughs) Creatures affected by this um, may repeat the saving throw at the end of each of their turns, ending on a success, and once they do succeed, they are immune to this effect for 24 hours. Um, Or finally, a rock the size of a grapefruit is magically hurled at the target the big man can see within its lair. Use the big man's rock attack for for its statistics.
1: (laughs) So another big man from just off screen (laughs) throws a rock at you. Just
0: throws a rock and breaks Eli's leg.
1: Yeah, okay, good.
0: (laughs) Uh, Next, I made layer actions for the Flymanoid.
1: Hey, I made that guy. You
0: did. Um, Flymanoids layer in abandoned buildings and ruins where they can form their twisted experiments in peace. (laughs) Their layers tend to have tall walls and sweeping ceilings, allowing them to use their spider climb trait as frequently as possible. These layers also tend to have uh, scattered equipment tools, alchemical supplies, and alien machines whose functions only make sense to the Flymanoid's addled and insane mind. So uh, the actions that it can take are a shower of sparks accompanied by a brilliant flash of light emanates from one of the Flymanoid's twisted gadgets. All creatures within 30 feet of the chosen device that can see it must succeed on a DC-12 Constitution saving throw or be blinded until initiative count 20 on the next round. Something just solar flare. <laughs> yep, yeah, something to solar flares. Um, residual magics from the flymanoid's mad experience strike out at a target the flymanoid can see within its lair. The target target must succeed on a DC-12 strength saving throw or be teleported to an unoccupied point the Flymanoid can see within 30 feet of the target. The chosen space must be on a flat surface. So the Flymanoid can't, you know, teleport you 30 feet in the air. That's good. That's good. Um, And then finally, malfunctions in the machinery within the Flymanoid's workshop cause chaotic and wild effects to occur. Roll a D6 to determine the effect. So you would roll... And one of these things would happen every time the Flymanoid uses this layer action. On a 1, a random target within a layer must succeed on a DC-14 Constitution saving throw or be polymorphed into a beast with a challenge rating of one half or less. <laughs> well, that sucks. The, <laughs> the target can repeat the saving throw at the end of each of its turns, ending the effect on a success. On a 2, a target the Flymanoid can see must make a DC-10 Intelligence saving throw or lose one level spell slot. One level spell slot
1: one level one spell slot
0: one yes lose a level one spell okay yes 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 you lose i should probably yeah one yes so they lose the level one spell slot okay they have no level one spell slots this has no effect okay um on a three a target chosen by the flymanoid must make a dc 12 intelligence saving throw or use a cantrip chosen by the flymanoid on another target also chosen by chosen by the flymanoid that's funny Um, On on a four, a target non-magical weapon of the Flymanoid's choice transforms into a foam version of itself, becoming useless (laughs) until initiative count 20 on the turn after next. On a five, all creatures, including the Flymanoid within the layers randomly swap places. Okay. And on a six, a machine explodes. All creatures within 10 feet of the machine must make a DC 12 dexterity saving throw, taking... 21, so 66 fire damage on a failure, or half as much on a success. Alright then. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a chaotic and maddening thing going on here. Yeah, that's um, fun. And then the flymanoid can't use this specific layer action until all other layer actions have been used, so he can't ah. just spam this. Okay. Next, I did a layer actions for Sweet Tooth, okay. my big ass crocodile from Rogue. Sweet Tooth, like others of its kinds likes to layer in underground tunnels within beneath trees and logs in the swamp. Here, it can rest between hunts and store its valuable food for later consumption. These layers have steep, slick, mud-packed entrances that act more like slides than a traditional tunnel. This allows Sweet Tooth to come and go with ease while trapping its prey and or would-be intruders within. Inside, murky water collects in deep pools and rotted logs, and roots populate the open spaces to allow it to rest and hide as needed. So the three actions it can take are, the pools of water within the lair swell and rise, flooding the rest of the cavern, covering all dry land with two feet of water for 1d4 rounds. Creatures without a swim speed treat this as area as difficult terrain, and Sweet Tooth cannot use this layer action again until the waters recede, and then it uses another layer action. But if you'll remember, uh, Sweet Tooth is way more dangerous in the water. Yeah, no, that sucks for quippers in there. Um, The second action is Sweet Tooth summons 1d6 quippers in an unoccupied space of water within 60 feet of it. So
1: just brings (laughs) a bunch of piranha.
0: (laughs) And then finally, uh, Roots and Vines erupt in a 10-foot radius centered on a point Sweet Tooth can see within 60 feet of it. The area becomes difficult terrain, and each creature that starts its turn there must succeed on a DC-14 strength saving throw or be grappled by the roots and vines until they succeed on another strength or dexterity mm-hmm. check of DC-14. Uh, the vines wither and fade when Sweet Tooth uses this action again or when it dies. Alright then. Which is almost verbatim taken from like the green dragon's lair if it uh-huh. so... Next, I came up with layer action oh, for no. the Color of bite.
1: <laughs> Oh no! I don't want to go in the clown house!
0: <laughs> color layers are strange and wild environments, resembling a gargantuan circus tent. The inside is anything but a fun-filled carnival. Twisting hallways, distorted mirrors, doors that lead to nowhere, and sticky floors make these layers a depth trap for all those unfamiliar with the terrain. So the uh, the uh, insanity that is a Color Phobite layer uh, brings with it three different layer actions. Okay. Uh, number one, a surface or object the Color Phobite chooses that it can see within 60 feet of it uses the Color Phobite's carnival of pain action. <laughs> so
1: just uh, something pops out of the wall and hits somebody with a hammer? <laughs>
0: yeah, or an uh, you know, aesthetic pie. Yeah, yeah.
1: Sprays them with seltzer
0: water. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> The second action, a surface or object the color phobite chooses that it can see within 60 feet of it, performs one of the following effects at random by rolling a D6. You may notice a trend with these.
1: Right, yes. No, that makes sense for these guys. Uh Uh-huh.
0: So, on a 1, peanuts spray harmlessly in a 10-foot cone from the object. On a 2, the object begins making a harmless sound, such as a horn honking, squeaking, laughing, or some other whimsical sound. On a three, the object lets off a harmless, pleasant smell, such as that of popcorn, fair food, or cotton candy.
1: (laughs) It just farts popcorn at you.
0: On a four, popcorn sprays harmlessly in a ten-foot cone from the object. On the next round, (laughs) at initiative count 20, 1d6 plus three clownlings grow from the popcorn. Clownlings are a stat block from our Kibbles episode on that regard. Yep. So uh, subscribe to the Patreon if you want to know what they do. Um... On a five, the object sounds a deafening sound, such as a horn blaring, squealing, manic laughter, or some other unsettling sound. All creatures within 60 feet of it must succeed on a DC 14 Constitution saving throw or be deafened until initiative count 20 on the next round. (laughs) And on a six, the object lets off a poisonous cloud of stench (laughs) in a 20-foot radius centered on itself. All creatures within that area must make a DC 14 constitution saving throw or be poisoned for one minute. Mm. Creatures can repeat the saving throw at the end of their turns, ending the condition on a success. So half half harmless effects, half horrible effects. And then the third layer action this thing can take. The floor of the layer gains a random property by rolling 1d6. The effect ends (laughs) when this layer action is used again. On a one... Light fog rolls in, covering the bottom two feet of the floor. The area within the fog is heavily obscured. So the bottom is obscured.
1: Hiding the special effects. Yep.
0: Um, On a two, the floor becomes slightly sticky so that when creatures walk, their footsteps can easily be heard. Um, Dexterity stealth checks made while touching the ground are rolled at disadvantage.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: On a three, a heavy fog rolls in, filling all hallways and passages. The area within the fog is heavily obscured. So, everything. Right. On a four, the floor becomes very sticky. All creatures touching the ground at the beginning of their turn must make a DC 12 strength saving throw or have their speed reduced to zero until the start of their next turn.
1: Okay. So,
0: I mean, it, it's for all intents and purposes grappled, but right. Um, On a five... A hole opens up in the floor oh no. at a point within 120 feet of the color of Phobite. The hole then spews hundreds of colorful plastic balls in all directions. Whenever a creature moves within five feet of the hole for the first time or starts its turn there, must succeed on a DC-10 dexterity saving throw or gain disadvantage on their attack rolls until the end of their next turn. It's hard to hit things when you're getting pelted with plastic balls. Yeah, yeah. There's too many uh, balls, you can't. you can't act. Yep. Creatures concentrating on spells and other effects must make a DC 10 Constitution saving throw or lose concentration. So it does force a concentration check. Right. Uh, the plastic balls pop in harmless confetti shortly after they stop moving. So. At
1: least this isn't the harmful confetti that the colorophobites themselves pop. No. Okay.
0: And on a six, yeah, a hole opens up in the floor at a point within 120 <laughs> feet of the Colorophobite. An unknowable and terrible <laughs> monstrous creature then reaches out of the hole to attack and grab at anybody within its reach. Whenever a creature moves within 10 feet of the hole for the first time or starts its turn there, must succeed on a DC 16 dexterity saving throw or take 48 average of 18 slashing damage and then be grappled by the creature. The creature has any number of arms and hands (laughs) it needs to continue attacking and grappling and none of the arms can be harmed or destroyed. That's awesome. (laughs) And then the colorful bite cannot use any layer action again until they've all been used and they cannot be used twice in a row. Okay. So. So the colorophobite layers are just bananas. Yeah. I had a lot of like fun creating those. No. And then finally, I came up with layer actions for the newest member of our Creature Crunch family, uh-huh. the Regent. Okay. Uh, Regents layer in dark caves and tunnels where they can create their own network of passages where they and, and their drones can move and hide. They scatter their laid eggs within the layer and cocoon their still living victims within the walls to await the hatching of the eggs. The this one is a lot more simple compared to yeah, the other ones. Yeah, it's a lot um, shorter. I can tell. Yep. But uh, it will need some further explanation here okay. in a little bit. Uh, but on a one, or the first layer action, the Xena Regent summons one d four Xeno Spawn.
1: Oh. Oh.
0: The Xena Regent cannot use use this layer action again until all of her Xeno Spawn are gone. Okay. Um. The second layer action is she summons two Xeno Soldiers, and again she can't use them until the soldiers, Xeno Soldiers Soldiers are gone. And on a three. Hidden Xena soldiers clinging to the walls lash out and strike, attacking all hostiles they can reach. All creatures of the Xena Regent's choice, within five feet of a wall or ceiling within the lair, must succeed on a dexterity saving throw I didn't put... Of some kind. On a DC... 15 dexterity saving throw, or take three d6 plus four slashing damage that's an average of 14 all right then and those are my layer actions
1: very cool so those are awesome man
0: i appreciate that um they got i guess i put a lot of time and effort into them to make them as flavorful as i could yeah and i had a lot of fun with them so um so that was my first lump of things yeah <laughs> chris what else what have you brought to the table let's, let's i brought a foot <laughs> Okay, it took me a second. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, "What?" Okay, go ahead.
1: Yeah, but this is based off of the, uh, you know, the immortal line from Predator about not having time to bleed. Yep, yep. Uh, because I also made another feat for Predator about shooting wildly into the jungle, so I figured I'd make another one for Predator. <laughs> it has a lot of stuff you can use for yeah, no, for fodder. Fair. Yeah, that's fair. No, but it's, yeah. it's a good one. This is uh, ain't got time to bleed. Uh, a feat that is a requirement of the fifteenth level. So you got to be level 15 before you can do it. Dang. Yeah. So it's a later one. Yeah. Uh, But it's very good. Okay. Um, If you take damage that reduces you to zero hit points and doesn't kill you outright, you can spend five hit dice to delay falling unconscious. And you can immediately take an extra turn, interrupting the current turn. When you have zero hit points during that extra turn... <clears throat> Taking damage causes death-saving throw failures as normal, and three death-saving uh, throw failures can still kill you. When the extra turn ends, you fall unconscious if you still have zero hit points. You can use this feature once per long rest. Oh, wow. So It's basically the, uh, the samurai's final feature. The, the samurai subclass for the fighter gets this at 18th level as just a thing they can do. Oh, wow. So I was looking at that and I was like, okay, that would work really good as a feat with some sort of expenditure and, and a limitation on it
0: right right yeah um I mean that that absolutely works, I feel mm-hmm. so cool. I it's like
1: definitely it. dangerous to use because well, yeah. you will fucking die, but <laughs> yeah yeah because
0: I mean if you're most uh, most monsters um, and most DMs, as far as I'm aware, unless they're vindictive, will tend to ignore a fallen enemy. Yeah. But if a, if an enemy continues fighting... Not,
1: well, <laughs> Not just continues fighting, but interrupts the monster's turn yeah, to start fighting again. Yeah, game. that's... That's sheep. dangerous. Yeah. That, is,
0: that is insane. So, I like it, though. That's, yep, yep. that's cool. And once um, again,
1: I like spending resources that the game doesn't want you to spend as resources.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Cool, cool. Um... And that's my foot. That was your foot? So back to me then, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, as I mentioned with the Xena Regents layer actions, um, I, I, I kind of mentioned a few monster stat mm-hmm. blocks that don't exist thus far. Uh, and here we go. Okay. Um, so these are directly from aliens. Right. Um, I made the Xeno Soldier stat block. Uh, so it's basically your Xenodrone from episode one right. a year ago.
1: Just uh, pumped a bit.
0: Just pumped a little bit. Um, Medium monstrosity. I had
1: thought about doing something similar in the episode itself, but I, then I just went to having her spawn the Xenodrones just as normal. Yeah, and that's there's nothing yeah, wrong yeah.
0: with that, so... But I decided to just make a beefed-up version of the Xenodrome. Because, let's face it, the Xenodrome way back in the day when we made it, that challenge rating was pretty low, all things considered. It's it level was a 5. It was a 5, yeah. Um, and I made these guys a challenge rating 8. All right. So their statistics increased thusly. 180 hit points, AC of 70 feet. Um, I gave them a climb speed of 20 feet, which the Xenodrome does not have
1: that that's because that was back when we were like okay we're just going to do what we see in the movie right and although we see it moving through vents and stuff we don't really see it climb so which is
0: yeah well i'm not arguing i'm not saying like we should have just but in this movie that's kind of a key point is that the right yeah these things climb around
1: and Hmm. going back i would have given the xenodrome to climb speed right right
0: but um, we've we've
1: loosened our britches when it comes to doing that sort of thing
0: (laughs) But um, I went ahead and gave him this one a climb speed of 20 feet. So okay. he's not quite as fast on the, on walls and ceilings. But one of the things that I did do is I upped his uh, damage resistance from acid to immunity to acid. So okay. this one is completely immune to acid. Okay. Um, and then, I mean, that's pretty much it. It's, its attacks and everything else are pretty much the same, just with more of a punch. Okay. Um, I'm not going to go into details, because that's just me saying numbers, and that's not entertaining. Yeah, and
1: well, it's the same as the Xenodrone, just with the higher stats. Yeah,
0: just higher stats. More of a punch.
1: Yeah. Um, This is the one I'm interested in, because I wanted to see how the hell you were going to do this. So,
0: in our kibbles for Episode 1, I decided to do a stat block, or at least a mechanic for the egg and facehugger. Right. But back then, I was for whatever reason, afraid of doing just a full stat block for a facehugger. Yeah. Now that we've grown considerably, I've decided, that was dumb. I'm just going to make a facehugger stat block. So I made the Xenospawn. It is a tiny monstrosity. It's got an AC of 13, uh, hit points average of 33, which is 6d6 plus 6. Uh, It also has a 30 feet speed and 20 feet climb speed. Okay. Uh, It's got a pretty substantial strength for something so small at 16, (laughs) because... Once that thing curls around somebody's neck and gets on their face, it's infinitely hard to come off. Uh, They're also pretty dexterous. Like, they have to be. They're pretty quick and nimble. So it's got a dexterity of 16. Um, Everything else is relatively low. Constitution at 12. Wisdom at 14. Intelligence and Charismas are at 8 and 6, respectively. Um, Just like the Xenodrone, it's got a resistance to acid, not full immunity. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it does have blind sight. Those things don't have eyes um and that blind side is of 60 feet it is blind beyond that yeah. radius um and it is a challenge rating one half creature um i did take a lot of the stats here from the uh from the uh the dungeon hazard that i created in the oh, first right, kibbles. right uh so i gave it the acidic blood whenever it takes slashing or piercing damage from a non-magical attack all other creatures have to make a five foot or within five feet of it have to make a dc right, right saving throw or take 2d6 acid damage and then i gave it the indomitable grappler trait which is that the, i
1: introduced for life life yeah. yes yeah. the most recent episode i remember that mm-hmm. i remember things occasionally
0: um targets grappled by the xenospawn roll escape checks at disadvantage mm-hmm. and every time they fail an escape attack uh, attempt they take 1d6 bludgeoning damage
1: as it crushes their head
0: yep and windpipe yep Um, And then its only action is, well, excuse me, it's got two actions. Grapple, it's a melee weapon attack, plus five to hit, reach of five feet and one target. On a hit, it doesn't do any damage, but if the target is small, medium, or large, the target is grappled with an escape DC of 15. The target is blind while grappled in this way and has disadvantage on dexterity saving throws made to avoid the spawn's acidic blood. That sucks. Yep. And then it's got the implant action. Oh no. The Xenospawn implants an embryo into any creature it is grappling. The host must make a DC-14 constitution saving throw or be infected with the disease, a Xeno embryo. This is almost word for word the same thing as the red slots.
1: I was, that was like, we were talking about that and we we're like, oh, what if we did the red slot? And then we just didn't. Yeah. And we did the, the dungeon hazard instead. Right. Which I think is still fine.
0: I think so too. It, it absolutely works. Yeah. But yeah. I think this makes it a little bit more interesting. Yeah. Um, and a little bit more dynamic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is basically word for word uh, the, the red slot with much reduced uh, time le- time span. Yeah. Because a host can carry one Xeno embryo to term at a time. Over 1D4 hours... Oh, that sucks. ...the embryo <laughs> moves to the chest cavity and begins to push its way out. In the minutes leading up to this, the host feels intense pain in its chest and becomes incapacitated. The embryo bursts from the host's body, killing the host creature the embryo grows into a xenodrone within 1d4 rounds holy fuck they're quick <laughs> if the disease is cured before the embryo's emergence the embryo is disintegrated okay so yeah no these things are red slots on on steroids yeah seriously
1: wow he's out
0: <clears throat> i thought about making the constitution saving throw a little bit lower just to try to help mitigate
1: that but then i decided fuck it yeah. um too bad <laughs> If your party comes across another one of their party members with one of these things on its face, and don't like, oh, that's a bad thing, and then like immediately get on that, like they deserve what they get.
0: <laughs> Thank you for the uh, validation. Yeah. So now this next. Okay, where the walk, fuck did this come from? This one might take a little bit of explanation. So, Carnosaur, we covered Carnosaur we did. way back and when.
1: We did. That, that <clears throat> episode has been uploaded twice because the first time it vanished into the ether. Yes,
0: it did. It, <laughs> did it, 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 Podbean ate it completely. Podbean's tech support is like, we have no idea. Yeah. I have no idea. It's gone. So
1: that's why if, <laughs> if you're going back and looking at the episodes, there's one that's out of order. Okay.
0: <laughs> that would be why. Um, <laughs> but uh, the Carnosaur episode. Um, so one of the main key like things with Carnosaur is that they're using chicken eggs right, to plant yes. dino embryos the, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the whole catalyst
1: oh speaking of Carnosaur not to interrupt you too much that's fine but I don't know if you saw or not but it recently got reprinted the book
0: oh wow really yeah
1: Valancourt books just uh, reprinted it oh my god I, kinda I was wanna read so that. happy
0: just, <laughs> I kind of want to read that I've heard it's terrible I've heard, I've heard that it is just like it's not very good, and it's
1: offensive. Yeah, yeah. I still
0: kind of want to read it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, man, I wonder if I should get Matt that for Christmas this year or something. <laughs> if they're reprinting it, that'd be a good time to get it. <laughs> right. Anyway. <But>, um,
0: <laughs> anyway, yep, sidebar. Um, so, for whatever reason, and the way my brain works, is anytime I think of that aspect of Carnosaur, my mind immediately links to the real Ghostbusters oh, episode my God. with the were Chicken. <laughs>
1: I mean if we wanted to, there is a cavalcade of shit in that show we could stab.
0: Oh, absolutely. Well, uh, here's our first swing at it. Yeah. I made the where chicken oh, stat block. Cra- I was wondering where this
1: came from, this. and I didn't know if it was gonna if you were going real Ghostbusters or Goosebumps. <laughs> Cause both of the like both of those are considered like the low points of their respective series. <laughs> I don't know. I,
0: I'm I'm biased because the uh... I didn't growing up I didn't have access to cable and right. there were like there were brief moments where we had it or like uh like I think it was like the Disney channel especially yeah, yeah. would run like
1: they'd run free weekends free yeah free
0: weekends and my that... mom would pull out blank VHS tapes and record them oh. for us kids so I had like there's a lot of those old shows where I watched them but it was usually just like one or two episodes that I watched hundreds of times
1: No I get that because there was like when when they do those Disney Channel weekends, and, like, if you are young enough that you don't really remember the Disney Channel, like, it was nothing like it is now. No. I don't even think it's, a, it, I think it's still technically around, but it's mainly towards a YA audience now. Yeah. It, it's, like, live action shows and, right. like, very little kid shows in the morning and stuff like that. It was basically just, like, Disney's weirdo cartoons and weirdo live action shows. Like, that's where the Disney Afternoon got started. Like, that was huge. Yeah. Uh, and then, like in the mornings, you'd have weird shit like Dumbo Circus and uh, that I can't even remember what it's called, but that weird Alice in Wonderland show and Mouser size, which was like a Disney exercise program. <laughs> the 80s were wild. Yeah, right? <laughs> but... Uh, 80s and early 90s. But yeah, so the
0: real Ghostbusters was part of that where yeah. we had a VHS growing up and this episode was on it. So, like, I have seen this episode more times than I could probably count. That's
1: so funny. And
0: I have seen most of the rest of the series zero times.
1: Oh, um, you, it, it's worth watching. At least I, know, the, like I the.
0: I went back and I tried to rewatch it yeah. a while back. Um, the first few episodes I couldn't get through because oh. they're pretty rough. Yeah. But, um, but no, I watched this episode like crazy. So it's pretty much ingrained in my brain space. Yeah.
1: This was like during the Slimer and the real Ghostbusters, I think. Yeah, like, I
0: think I think it is. I think it's direct. Yeah, that that, and
1: that was like um, I know way more about the show than I fucking should, <laughs> but um, like they, they released the first season and it was like a surprise hit, so they got greenlit to do a second season and a syndication package, which pushed them into enough episodes where it could be rerun and they would get uh, proceeds from the reruns, which was which was huge, and then the. Th- third season I think it was or either third or fourth season like knowing that it was a hit the execs like crushed them with control yeah and wanted so many specific changes made and like one of them was okay it's got to be more kid-friendly uh Slimer's got to get a lot more action because he's our big cash cow uh-huh. um like the character of Janine they needed to make less authoritarian oh and scary God. so like they, they said that her glasses were too sharp in, like, the first couple seasons, she has the triangular glasses like yeah. the actress does in the movie. Yeah. And in the third season, she has, like, round spectacles. Oh, my God. Because they were too scary for kids. Oh, man. And the show about ghosts. <laughs> oh, Jesus.
0: 80, 80s and 90s,
1: yeah. like, yeah.
0: Hollywood execs, man. They knew they were
1: so in tune. <laughs> it, it's just hilarious. Like, I I've, I've, don't think I've ever seen a show get completely destroyed by the executives as much as this. Because those first couple seasons are, like, beloved with yeah. people like th- like i have seen so much shit about people just loving those first couple seasons nobody likes the third season <laughs> nobody likes the slimer and the real ghostbusters yeah and
0: ever. i'm really i'm willing to bet that that's i'm, I'm
1: almost I'm, positive it I, is this is from that but yeah.
0: anyway so without without uh, further going off because this episode's gonna be a beefy one um most of our most of our Recruiter kibbles episodes <laughs> <are> like <laughs> average ten minutes about
1: 15 to 20 minutes yeah. at most uh but, That's anyway. why I thought I was doing good when I had like eight <laughs> things. I was like, all right, I really put in the work this time.
0: <laughs> get, get, get on my level, Chris. Um, so we've got the were chicken stat block. Um, it is basically the werewolf stat block, just toned down a bit. Jesus. Um, with a trick. Or with, with a oh, trait. it's got a, a trick. Uni- well, <laughs> this were chicken a unique, knows a trick. <laughs> there's a unique trait on this. Because one of the things that we talked about here all back is, um, and something that I've really taken to heart, is oh man um i thought audacity had frozen oh better ago. not have uh-huh. i'd stop i'm watching it so it's okay okay but anyway um but one of the things that we were talking about is with a lot of our stat blocks we really need to give them what i'm coming to know as the marquee trait something right. that makes that stat block unique compared to everything else because yeah, yeah. otherwise you just rescan a monster that exists yeah yeah so We'll get to that, and I did do that with this guy. Okay. So, uh, our were chicken he's got a 30-feet 30-feet spe- uh, sp- blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Yep. Um, oh, I didn't put his average hit points. He's got 20d8 plus 80 hit points. Okay. Um, I don't remember... I,
1: I God, don't know what that is. Whatever. I can't do that off the top of my head. And I, <laughs> I did not bring my computer today because I'm coming off of work, so...
0: Here, I'll do it real quick. Why not? 169.
1: All right. Nice. Nice, nice plus 100. Yep. So, uh,
0: 169 average hit points... He's got a speed of 30 feet and a fly speed of 20 feet while he's in half-chicken hybrid form. Okay. Um, I did take some liberties here uh, because, you know, real chickens, not really known for their flying ability. They can glide. And... Like, uh, you would be surprised. But in the Aureal... Uh, in Aureal uh, Ghostbusters, I always want to say that. No, in, that's uh, a different joke. In the Ghostbusters cartoon, um, that that chicken do fly. Yeah. Um, and,
1: I mean, there is the documentary Chicken Run.
0: Naturally um the beloved beloved documentary chicken right yeah uh but anyway uh so he does have a 20 foot fly speed in half chicken hybrid form okay so uh he's only got a 12 in strength 14 in dexterity he's a he's a chonky guy at uh 16 constitution um
1: that's a beefy chicken yep
0: 10 in intelligence 10 in wisdom and 8 in charisma um ugly chicken (laughs) he's got uh skills in perception and stealth resistances to bludgeoning piercing and slashing from non-magical attacks that aren't silvered right uh damage vulnerabilities to cold because they defeat him with a weather balloon in the cartoon yes they do they freeze that boy and as far as i know left him up there on the entire <laughs> on, on the Empire state building um did you show the tourists <laughs> uh he's got a passive perception of 10 and, uh, he knows common, but he can't speak while he's in chicken oh, my, form.
1: My brain farted for a second, and, like, when you said he knows common, I was 100% convinced you were going to say he knows kung fu.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he's not from the Matrix, Chris. No.
1: My brain is so tired.
0: Uh, he's got a challenge rating of 2. He's got Shapeshifter. He can, uh, change, uses action to polymorph into a chicken-human hi- hybrid, or into a chicken, or back into its true form. Um... Which is, of course, humanoid. Its statistics, other than its speed, are the same in each form. Okay. And size. Its speed and size. Uh, any equipment it is wearing or carrying isn't transformed. It oh, reverts so to its true form if it dies.
1: So if he's not naked when he turns into a chicken, he's a chicken in a pile of clothes. Yeah. Okay.
0: Um, I mean, that's that's the, how the werewolf forms So, But now his marquee trait. Ghostly apparition. Okay. So if you aren't familiar with the cartoon, the whole plot of that episode... Is that a ghost chicken um, possesses a real chicken and it turns it into this, like, um, let's call it where chicken, uh, patient zero? <laughs> that chicken bites someone and turns, the, like the farmer's wife, and mm-hmm. turns her into a where chicken. And then she ends up laying an egg, which hatches into a different chicken, right. patient zero, which bites Egon and he turns into a where chicken. Right. So. But the whole thing is that, like, when the Ghostbusters show up and they bust the original Where Chicken,
1: it feels good. It,
0: <laughs> it, the ghost version of it comes out and it's like this green spectral chicken with three mouths, right? It yeah. actually kind of looked kind of cool for a the monster
1: designs were impeccable. Yeah. in that show, um, even in the bad season.
0: And uh, so that's the whole thing. It was it's basically two creatures in one, and I went with that. So when the were chicken dies, its spirit leaves its body and takes the form of a ghostly were chicken with the same stats as its corporeal form with all of its hit points. Okay. While in this form, it can move through other creatures and objects as if they were difficult terrain. It takes 1d10 force damage if it ends its turn inside an object. That's what the ghosts have. Mm-hmm. Uh, additionally, it loses access to its shape-changer trait and claw and short-sword attacks. Instead, it makes three bite attacks every time it takes the multi-attack action okay because it's got three mouths right yes um so its actions are multi-attack uh while it's in human or hybrid form it can make two attacks one with its short sword and one with its uh or one with its bite or claws and one with its claws depending on which form it's in um its bite does an average of 2d8 piercing damage uh and it can transfer the were chicken lycanthropy to uh-huh. the bite victim if they fail
1: adc chicken constitution
0: saving throw
1: were chicken werewolfism
0: <laughs> were chicken werewolfism um it's got claws which deal an average of uh four damage four slashing damage it's 1d4 plus 2 and then while it's in human defo- humanoid form i gave him a short sword because yeah whatever um the werewolves had spears i decided to give him a sword okay um and he does an average of nine, two D eight, two D six, plus two piercing damage. So um, and that's my ware chicken. Yeah. Chris, that's that's, that's your chicken. That's my guy. That's
1: your boy. <laughs> He's your problem now.
0: <laughs> and then finally I came up with another stat block. Now this one is based off of the Samael from mm-hmm. Hellboy. Uh, I called this thing the Regenerator because I could not come up with a better name.
1: You can name him after another demon.
0: I thought about it. I was looking into it, oh. but
1: but how many of them haven't been used in some exactly, capacity
0: or could be better used in another capacity. Right, so I just yeah. called him the regenerator because...
1: there's got to be some shitty demon that hasn't been used. <laughs> this is Chuck the Demon. <laughs> <laughs> um
0: but I just named him a regenerator because the whole point at least of the Samaels in uh in Hellboy are that they're the hounds of resurrection right. uh and they have crazy regenerative abilities. So this guy is based off of that. Um shit i didn't give him hit points i don't fucking care i'll do it later okay um, he's got some hit points who knows got, how many he's got hit points of some amount but um god i thought i gave him hit points he's gonna have an average of like 100 or so hit points okay. based off of his challenge rating um but uh this guy i designed to be the fuck you rogues <laughs> creature. you'll see what i mean when i get there he's got an ac of 14 um like I said, an average of around 100 points. I don't know <laughs> we why. We assume. I, 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 we assume. I didn't put it in, apparently, and I don't... I mean, I'm not going to add it in right now. Uh, I, it will, obviously, be, by the time I, this goes live. But uh, he's got a speed of 40 feet, strength of 16, dexterity of 18, constitution of 18, and then the rest of his stats are carbo. Um Passive perception of 10. Doesn't know any languages. Mm-hmm. Challenge rating of 4. He's got keen hearing and smell, just like any other like right. like wolf i mean that the, the uh it doesn't really come up much in the movie but the wikipedia for the movie tells me that they have incredible senses sure so um and then he's got the regeneration ability he regenerates 15 hit points at the start of each of his turns um if he takes lightning damage this trait doesn't function at the start of his next turn mm. and he only dies when he starts his turn with zero hit points and doesn't regenerate so okay Just like the troll. Just
1: like the troll, but with lightning lightning instead of of, fire and acid.
0: Yes. Because that's how the first one in the movie is defeated with the.
1: Yeah, third rail.
0: Yep. Um, And then I gave him something that I called the Hydra Resurrection. When the regenerator dies, two more hatch from eggs at the regenerator's nest in 1d4 rounds. The hatchlings grow into full regenerators after 1d6 hours. Okay. Um, I figured that. If and when we ever do add, like, flavor to these creatures, then I'll talk about their their yeah, yeah. The hive at that point, but...
1: <laughs> that thing that, that we keep that threatening nest, to do and never will. <laughs> yeah,
0: that. So, um, it's just assumed that these things have layers, Yeah, they have nests, there's eggs, boom. So, that's it. Um, multi-attack, two attacks, and uh, one with its bite, one with its claw. Both deal... Uh, they, they either deal uh, 2d8 plus 3 piercing damage or 1d12 plus 3 slashing damage. But okay. then he also
1: has the reaction. That's something we don't give enough monsters, no, you know? No, he's got a reaction.
0: And uh, trust me, now that I've I've been using some more high-powered monsters in some of our other campaigns that I've been running, mm-hmm. uh, reactions are very fun for monsters to have. Um, but I gave this guy what I call the aggressive healer. When the regenerator takes at least 15 damage from a single attack, it can use its reaction to move up to its movement and make a bite or claw attack. Dang. So, fuck you, rogues.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's funny.
0: Yep. And those are my stat blocks that I've come up with. Okay. So, Chris, balls back in your court.
1: Okay. Well, I also made some monsters, man. Would you believe that?
0: I I believe it.
1: Okay. I believe it because I peeked. Okay. Uh, oh, unfortunately, man. they're not terribly clever monsters, but uh, one of the things we've been promising to do is, like, whenever a monster gets set on fire in a movie, in the kibbles, you'll make the fire version of it.
0: Yep. It is a creature crunch guarantee.
1: And whenever the creature picks up a gun at some point, I'll make that version of it. Yep, another Creature Crunch guarantee. Which hasn't happened a whole lot, unfortunately.
0: It's only happened in, like, our holiday episodes.
1: Right, right, yeah. Apparently the holidays are for shooting people. Um, <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, I hope that doesn't age poorly. <laughs> I don't think there's any holidays coming up between now and when this releases. We should be fine. <laughs> anyway. uh, The holidays are for firepower. <laughs> But, uh, so what I did is I took some of our classic monsters. We here at Creature Crunch do not condone gun violence. No, of course not. Anyway.
0: <laughs> anyway, go on. I'm sorry. But uh, we do condone monsters in monster movies, picking up guns and shooting. Exactly, Because yes. hilarious.
1: Um, so, yeah, I took some of our classic monsters and I gave them guns. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. I made no other changes to the stab locks. I noticed
0: that you literally copy-pasted their stab locks and then gave them a gun. Yes.
1: <laughs> Including the weird-ass way we used to do stat blocks. <laughs> or at least I used to do them. Yeah. But yeah, uh, first we have the Xenodrone with a gun. Yep. Who's exactly like the Xenodrone, except... Uh, He's got a gun. For his multi-attack, he can make two claw attacks, a claw attack, and a tail attack, or he can bite or use a gun. <laughs> <laughs> and the gun is a plus 7 to hit, range of forty to 120 feet, one target. And on a hit, it's 8 or 2d8 piercing damage. That is the gun. <laughs>
0: It's, it's what you get. Yep. It's, it's it's as advertised.
1: Yeah. Uh, then we have the big man with a gun. Who has put down his rock and picked up a gun.
0: <laughs> okay, this is funnier than I thought it would be. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> who has all of the same like abilities as the, as the big man. And you gave him some cool stuff, so props to big man. And now he has a lair he can do.
0: Yeah, now he's got layer yeah.
1: Except this one doesn't have a rock, so he's going to have to shoot somebody from off camera.
0: <laughs> he's going to have to shoot Eli in the leg. Yeah, yeah.
1: Which uh, Eli may recover from faster. I think the rock actually does more damage. but <laughs> It does kill him. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I guess it doesn't kill him, but it does, it does a number. Oh, shoot, they didn't uh, change his... Uh his multi-attack to, re- to give him to a reflect gu- the gun to reflect the gun <laughs> can't times, have that how many times can he shoot well, he, the gun he could throw one rock and now he can shoot one gun <laughs> but the gun is a plus four ranged weapon attack to hit uh 40 120 feet one target on a hit it's a 2d8 piercing damage next we have an anaconda with a gun
0: okay how
1: you got a tail <laughs> And he's got all the same stuff that our good boy from the, uh, the Anaconda episode had.
0: Our scream Anaconda. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, except now he also has a gun.
0: <laughs> of course he does. Yeah.
1: He, the uh, Anaconda did not have multi attack, so now he's just got a list of different attacks he can choose from. And one of them is gun.
0: <laughs> one of them is a ranged gun.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which makes, which makes the snake terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I, mm. <laughs> I, like, I don't know if he's holding it with his tail and just pulls the trigger that way, or if he just opens his mouth and a hand comes out with a gun.
0: (laughs) Well, it's that one, obviously.
1: He's eaten someone with a gun, (laughs) and regurgitates them a little bit, and the arm goes flop out of his mouth, and compulsively pulls the trigger. (laughs) There, I solved your problem for you. Oh, God. But the gun is a ranged weapon attack, plus three to hit. uh, Range 40, 120 feet, one target. And on a hit, it does eight 2d8 piercing damage.
0: (laughs) All of these monsters seem to shop at the same gun store.
1: They're all holding a revolver, apparently. (laughs) Because those are the stats of the revolver on D&D Beyond.
0: Yeah. Although none of these monsters have to reload.
1: No, they don't. (laughs) Which makes their guns much better than your (laughs) (laughs) guns.
0: Of course, you have to consider that if you if you
1: end up killing one of these monsters and your party is a gun, it's very true. <laughs> Although it's, it's, the gun may be part of the creature, I don't know how that works. Like <laughs> it's, just,
0: it, it's yeah, it's part of the yeah. It's an organic gun. Mm-hmm. Gross.
1: Because <laughs> I mean, like when you if you kill a xenodrone, you don't get its jaws. No,
0: no, that's fair. When you
1: kill jaws, you don't get his jaws.
0: Well, no, no, you don't.
1: When you kill an anaconda, you don't get his gun. It's simple, it's simple math. Simple, <laughs> simple thermodynamics. Alright. Those are my my creatures, Matt.
0: Alright, so you've armed those. I've armed those. Armed those I could creatures.
1: have kept going.
0: <laughs> I did. Why didn't you?
1: Because I got <laughs> tired and I was at work. <laughs> I'm never not at work anymore. Oh, man. Alright, well. Uh, very so, American of you. Yeah. Good job. Should have saved that for the fucking Fourth of July episode. Maybe I'll do that again.
0: <laughs> we will we just give everything, give everything a gun. Every if, happy Happy Fourth of July! Give everything a gun. Yeah.
1: <laughs> all right. That's so. What do you have for us now, man?
0: All right. So um, this next one uh, does require a little bit of a little bit more of uh, an explanation mm-hmm. because this comes from our um, infamous lost episode.
1: Oh yeah, our, does, our Attack the it does. it? The block episode. We reference yes. that episode a lot.
0: <laughs> yes, because
1: we made good stuff for that
0: episode. It was one of the. It was the best Kibbles episode. We yeah, made. we made so much oh. cool stuff.
1: We and like we both brought our A game to that one.
0: Yeah, we did. Which and is why it, it like exploded. And it, oh god, my freaking everything ate it. I hate it. It
1: really like yeah. It garbled that to the point where there was no recovering it.
0: I couldn't. I couldn't get it back. But, um, so. What I did in that episode, if you if you uh, subscribe to our Patreon, you can check out the stat blocks for it, or not stat blocks, but the uh, the rules for these. Um, I created a magic item that is a gift that keeps on giving, Uh, very similar to the uh, the magic item catalog that is officially, I think, released yesterday. I think is when this comes out.
1: This will release? No, I don't think so yet. It's going to be like three days. I think.
0: No, it released tomorrow. Okay. So much like uh, something that's going to release tomorrow <laughs> on the main
1: feed, if you yeah, if you're a part feed. of the Patreon, you've already heard yes. the 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 previous Comic crunch.
0: Well, you're gonna get to that here in a minute, anyway. I am. And neither here nor there. Um, but anyway, I created something that was inspired by uh, in that movie. We see Moses running down the hallway at the end with the dead alien on his back, uh-huh. and I was like, oh, it kind of looks like a backpack. Mm-hmm. Boom! I created the monster backpack.
1: And the, the ones you made for that episode were really good, and I legit want one of them for one of my characters.
0: Right, and, and I kind of fully expounded upon these. So, what these are, are they're wondrous items with a, uh, a veritable rarity. Um, they do require attunement, but uh, these backpacks are cute, stylized packs made to resemble the various monsters of the multiverse. Not only do they function as an ordinary adventuring pack, but they have magical properties that grant additional effects based on their design. Um, I'm not going to cover the ones that we made in that episode, so you'll have to either subscribe to the Patreon mm-hmm. or just look that up.
1: But we made ones based off not only the alien from that movie, but other classic D&D monsters. Yes, we did. I did or you did. I yeah, I say. did
0: the, the Owlbear, the Displacer Beast. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember the rest of them, but uh, in this one, I just went through some of our other Creature Crunch episodes. So I made the Screamy Worm backpack. This <laughs> one is common. Uh, well, while you were wearing it and attuned to it, and that goes for all of these, so just assume that that... You have to be wearing and attuned to them in order to get these effects. But you get a burrow speed of 15 feet. The backpack also emits a repugnant odor. Oh boy. Any creature that starts its turn within five feet of you must succeed on a DC eight constitution saving throw or be poisoned until the start of your next turn. On a successful saving throw, the creature is immune to this stench for an hour.
1: Not something to wear if you have friends. No.
0: Um, which is why it's common. Yeah. <laughs> but you do get a 15 foot burrow I mean, that's
1: speed. unique because yeah,
0: PCs usually don't get that. Nope. Um, next we have the Biosar, <laughs> which is an uncommon. After dropping to zero hit points, before making the death saving throw on each of your turns, you may use your reaction to make a melee attack with disadvantage.
1: That's funny. I like or, that. Excuse me,
0: with advantage. Oh,
1: with advantage. With advantage. Even better.
0: Well, because when you're prone, if you're using taking right. mele- melee attacks, you're going to be at disadvantage, so they'll cancel each other out. Oh, okay. But it's also a surprise. Surprise! So, yeah.
1: But I'm yeah. wearing a backpack.
0: Just, this gives players who are dropped to zero and doing death saving throws can uh-huh. actually do something okay um note that i am not liable for pc death that occurs because your corpse is <laughs> your your dying pc is swinging at enemies who want them dead yeah i'm not liable anyway
1: yeah um, i did worse with my with that foot with that foot <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. we're trying um, to get him killed this episode <laughs> <laughs> uh next we've got the big man you have a gun
0: <laughs> no oh. that's a big man with a gun
1: no Oh, please do Which is also
0: just a backpack with a gun in it.
1: (laughs) It sure is. But it looks like a Sasquatch. (laughs) Holding a gun.
0: (laughs) It's one of those, like, costumes where you put your arm inside of it and it looks like it's the Sasquatch's arm. Yeah, (laughs) right, yeah. Anyway, uh, so the big man is an uncommon backpack. When you drop to zero hit points for the first time, you instead drop to one and gain advantage on all attack rolls until the end of your next turn. The backpack regains this ability daily at dawn. Okay, that's so pretty cool. It's like the uh, the uh, relentless endurance um, feature of like orcs, just a little bit better. A little, yeah, yeah. But uh, next we got the fancy dancy. Planty. Hell yeah!
1: That's another one from uh, a Kibbles episode. Yeah. So the
0: fancy dancy planty is from a Kibbles episode from the
1: uh, Metamorphosis, the alien factor.
0: Yep. Um, I and... love that episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good episode. <laughs> um so this is an uncommon backpack and as an action you can force one creature able to see the fancy dancy planty backpack to make a dc 14 charisma saving throw on a failure the target creature is stunned until the end of your next turn pass or failure that creature cannot be the target of this ability again from this or any other fancy dancy planty backpack
1: because once they've seen the dance they're over it yep
0: <laughs> um next. Oh, so happy <laughs> <laughs> i knew you'd like that one Next, we've got the Shippadachi backpack, which is from my uh, Pacific Rim episode. Right. Shippadachi is an uncommon backpack. When you drop to zero hit points, a Homunculus (laughs) climbs out of the backpack and defends your body. (laughs) It lives in there. (laughs) The Homunculus acts on your turn and takes the ready action to bite the first hostile creature that comes within five feet of you. The Homunculus persists until it is killed or until you regain at least one hit point, at which point it melts into a puddle of goo. The backpack cannot summon the homunculus again until dawn the next day.
1: Oh, that's the best thing ever, man! <laughs> <laughs> Thank
0: you. You drop down to
1: zero hit points and a little dude just jumps out of your backpack with a <laughs> fucking ready to bite people. Yeah, you stay away. <laughs> you do away from my mama. Oh, that's just, it's fucking hilarious because it's like, it's not that it looks like the shippadachi. It's just a little dude who well, lives in your backpack. It
0: uses the homunculus stat block. I figure it's up to the players and or DM to determine what, To determine what it actually looks
1: like. No, it's a little man. (laughs) Maybe he's got a knife. (laughs) You you fall down. You look like you're dying, and a little naked man with a knife jumps (laughs) out of (laughs) your backpack, just looking around, ready to go. See, when I I, when I did this, I almost made it
0: like made this the uh, the note that it resembles you. Yeah, like a mini version of you. (laughs) But um, that's up to the DM and/or player. Yeah. So uh, next. That's great. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, next, we've got the Swamp Heap backpack. Hooray! This one is uncommon. Um, you have advantage on all attack rolls made against creatures with the Frightened Condition. Additionally, your attacks deal an additional 1d8 acid damage to targets with the Frightened Condition.
1: Cool, yep. Pretty simple. And, yep, and that's from the uh, second Comics Crunch episode. It is. Next Based off a man thing.
0: Next, we've got the Xenodrone backpack. Based off of the first episode, right, obviously. Right, yeah. When you take slashing or piercing damage, all creatures within five feet of you must succeed on a DC 13 Dexterity saving throw or take 2d6 acid damage. Once
1: again, not one to use if you have friends, <laughs> <laughs> unless you like your friends melting. Yeah.
0: Um Next, we have the unearthly shambler backpack. Uh, this one is rare and is based off of the mainstay episode or the mainstay stat block of the metamorphosis, metamorphosis Alien yeah. episode. Uh, the backpack has five charges. As a bonus action, you can expend a charge to and have the backpack fire a polyp at a target. Polyp. <laughs> yep. You make a ranged weapon attack against a single target within 40 feet of you. On a hit, the attack deals 1d6 plus 2 piercing damage and 1d6 poison damage. And if the target is a creature, it must succeed on a DC 14 constitution saving throw or be poisoned for one minute. Um, and it, of course, can repeat that right. saving throw at the end of each of its turns. Uh, and then the backpack regains all expended charges daily at dawn. Just
1: a little gross tentacle, like, goes, out of your backpack and shoots a pulp and then yep. back in. Next I have the Colorful Bite. Backpack. Oh, I don't want a backpack that looks like a murder clown.
0: <laughs> the backpack, no, no, no. The backpack has six charges, and as a bonus action, you can expend a charge and roll 1d6, and the backpack performs an action based off of the number. Uh, these actions are all based off of the Carnival of Pain. Right. Uh, but just toned down a little bit. Uh, The bouquet of flowers, spray seltzer water. Uh, The balloon dog, it summons one inflated dog in an empty space within five feet of you, and it acts on your turn and obeys your commands, no action required. Nice. Wallop is a uh, melee weapon attack, uh, dealing 1d6 plus two bludgeoning damage. Uh, Acidic pie is a ranged weapon attack within uh, 20 to 40 feet, with a uh, damage of 1d10 plus two acid. Uh, got the grabby hand, uh-huh. uh, which is a ten-foot reach. Um, on a hit, it deals one d6 plus two bludgeoning damage, and the target is grappled. And finally, the cotton candy web. Uh, the backpack fills a ten-foot cube with a thirty feet within thirty feet with a sticky pink webbing. The targeted area becomes difficult terrain. Any creature that starts its turn in this webbing takes one d6 necrotic damage and must make a DC 14 Dexterity saving throw or become restrained. Uh, and then, of course, they can—that's right. the, uh, the DC to break free. Yep. The backpack regains one D6 expended charges daily at dawn.
1: That's pretty rad. Next I week... still don't want like to carry a little clown around on my back, but
0: <laughs> it hey it's somebody's thing.
1: I'm sure it is. Next we have the man Moth. Hell yeah. So now the man
0: moth is from our Big Legend episode's kibbles. Right. Uh, based off of
1: Mothman. Moth
0: <laughs> this is a very rare backpack. At dawn each day, you roll three D twenties and record the numbers rolled. You can replace any attack roll, saving throw, or ability check made by you or a creature you can see within one with one of these Future Sight rolls. You must choose to do so before the roll, and you can only replace one roll in this way per turn. Uh, each Future Sight roll can be used only once, and at dawn, the backpack loses any unused Future Sight rolls. That's rad. Yep, this is basically the portent from, from the Diviner, yeah. The, yeah, from the Diviner wizard, um, just now accessible to anybody who wants this backpack.
1: <laughs> you, and, like, you would have a cute little... Mothman on your back too. Yeah. yeah, no, there's
0: there's no downside. There's
1: no downside to that one.
0: Uh next we've got the shadow creep, which is very rare. This is from our Kibbles episode uh for the monster. Right. Um and is actually based off of a creature that I had homebrewed. Yeah. My very first homebrew creature for fifth edition, way back when when we were running uh uh Waterdeep Dragon Heist. Mm-hmm. Um it's a creature that basically turns into a shadow form and uses the shadows. Uh as an action, you can polymorph into a shadow form. Your statistics other than your size remain the same while in this form. Any equipment you are wearing or carrying is transformed with you. While in shadow form, you can't attack, speak, or manipulate objects or leave a solid surface. You are weightless, have a movement speed of 60 feet, and can enter a hostile creature's space and stop there. In addition, you can pass through any space without squeezing. You have advantage on stealth checks, and you are immune to all non-magical damage. Um, You can remain in the shadow form for a number of rounds equal to 1 plus your constitution modifier. You can revert to your normal form as a bonus action, and re- you revert to your true form if you die. Okay. Next, we've got Mammothrapt, which is a uh, Kibble's creature from our Pacific Rim episode based off of Slattern of, right. uh, of that movie. Um, this is uh, very rare, and your strength score increases to 20, unless it's already 20 yep. or higher. Uh, If you move at least 20 feet in one direction and then hit with a melee attack, your attack deals an additional 2d6 bludgeoning damage, and the target has to make a DC 15 strength saving throw or be knocked prone.
1: That's rad. Jeez.
0: And then finally, we've got the Daisuma backpack, which is based (laughs) off of my Godzilla stat. Right. This is very rare, and as an action, you can have the backpack fire a beam of pure energy (laughs) in a 60-foot line that is 5 feet wide. Each creature in the area must make a DC 16 dexterity st- uh, saving throw or take 6d8 radiant damage uh, or half as much on a success. Um, and it also recharges daily at dawn.
1: God, that's awesome. I love that. So,
0: And those are my magic items. Or my uh, backpacks.
1: Those, yeah, you got more magic items here. I, I do, that.
0: I do. And I'm really excited for some of them. But, uh, you know, I think I need to cover those too. I think that's what I okay. counted out. So, um, yeah, those are my backpacks. Uh, I'm glad you seem to really like them. (laughs) I think that they are super cool magic items. Mm -hmm. They're super easy to come up with and, and throw in. I mean, you basically take the marquee trait of any monster and boom, you've got
1: an adorable backpack with a cool Mm -hmm. ability. No, I, I like those a lot. Those are, we'll need to make some more of those in the future. Those are rad. Absolutely. Um, so next, uh, I, I did come up with
0: a few more magic items. Okay. Next we have the monster inhibiting artificial cream. With a K, because the creators are edgy and want their consumers to know that they don't conform to society's norms. All right. Or Miak. All right. Yes. <laughs> Knew this was coming. Yep. This is a wondrous item, rare. Uh, the jar, <laughs> this jar of marmalade-like substance, can be used to ward off powerful monsters. Each jar has four plus one D10 uses and is designed to ward off a specific type of creature, such as goblins, owlbears, dragons, trolls, whatever. As an action, you can apply the miak to the body. For 24 hours after application, the designated monster cannot move within 30 feet of you, and it, it, if it is already within 30 feet of you, it must use its movement and action, if necessary, to attempt to get beyond 30 feet of you. This is also a curse magic item. The curse is that the miak doesn't actually work.
1: Fantastic.
0: <laughs> I don't know what else I expected. <laughs> so, um... Now that I'm thinking about it, I might release this Kibbles episode in like purposefully after the Comics Crunch episode and hits the okay. main feed just because for, for reasons. Um but this very easily and I almost retracted it uh-huh. could very easily be one of the magic items. Oh for sure, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> There's no reason it couldn't be. Um and then finally, my last magic item that I created yeah. is one dozen perfectly normal eggs. Oh, that's good. Yep. Um This is inspired by the eggs in Carnosaur.
1: Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, I know what happened with those eggs.
0: This is a wondrous item. It's uncommon. The eggs within this carton are pearly white, unblemished, and unremarkable, and indistinguishable indistinguishable from any other egg. That's dangerous. Yes, it is. The carton contains 12 eggs. When an egg is cracked, roll 1D12 and consult the following table to determine what happens with the egg. Okay. On a 1 through 4, it's a delicious egg. Fry it, boil it, use it in a recipe. Good time for egg lovers. All right. On a five, the egg is rotten and emits a foul odor. All creatures within five feet of the egg that can smell it must succeed on a DC eight constitution saving throw or be poisoned until the end of their next turn. While poisoned in this way, the creature can take either an action or a bonus action on their turn, but not both. On a six, the egg summons a chicken that appears in an unoccupied (laughs) space within five feet of it. Hooray, chicken. On a seven the egg summons a magical chicken that appears in an unoccupied space within five feet of it. All creatures within 60 feet of and can see the chicken must succeed on a DC-12 wisdom saving throw or become fixated on it. Until the creature loses sight of the chicken or the chicken dies, the creature must focus all attacks on the chicken. All right, then. Um, On an eight, instead of cracking, the egg shoots 30 feet straight up into the air and (laughs) explodes in a colorful display of light. If the egg cannot move 30 feet, it explodes when it can no longer move. Any creature within 10 feet of the exploding egg must make a DC 12 dexterity saving throw or take 3d6 fire damage on a failure or half as much on a success. Just becomes a firework. Yep. The egg lets out on an excuse me, on a 9, the egg lets out a high-pitched whistle that drowns out all other noise for 1d4 minutes. During this time, all creatures within 90 feet of the egg are considered deafened and cannot cast spells that require vocal components.
1: Awesome. The egg screams at you. <laughs>
0: I almost made it a horn honking sound to call back to some other episodes, but I didn't. Thank you. Appreciate that. On a 10, the egg produces a bubble of magical darkness as if having been cast the darkness spell centered on the egg. On an 11, the egg summons a biosaur that appears in an unoccupied space within five feet of it. The biosaur is hostile to all creatures. And on a 12, the egg summons a squishy rex, which is a creature that we made Made in our kibbles. kibbles for for that episode for carnosaur yeah for carnosaur which is basically a t-rex that is very easy to kill but will harm you very badly yes um but it create it summons the squishy rex that appears in an unoccupied space within five feet of it the rex is hostile to you and creatures friendly to oh no you. <laughs> oh no it hates us it hates you because we see in we see in carnosaur that that t-rex has vendettas man mm-hmm. and those are money one dozen perfectly normal eggs
1: those are rad man you did such a fucking good job on everything here
0: thank you i appreciate
1: that god you (laughs) showed a lot of thought you really showed me up on this (laughs) one. eat my butt chris no okay (laughs) all right so off mic but those are
0: all my magic items i am done with them and i am thereby passing it back to you
1: okay well, I made, uh, speaking of our Creature Crunch, or our Comics Crunch episodes, I made a new item for our catalog. Oh, boy. Uh, which, if you haven't listened to the Comics Crunch episode, real quick, uh, we made a catalog of magical items based off of the ads in old comics and magazines, where it would promise you the moon and the stars, and you get something shitty in return. Uh, so these are items that have a strange cost of some kind that you apply directly to the ad. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it promise you, promises you something strange that, like you'd read an ad, and then you get something that is like what it promised you, but not quite.
0: Yeah, it's it's a facsimile of yeah of the, uh, the the promised item.
1: Yeah. Uh, so this is the fantastic transport. Okay. Uh, cost is a cup of water that originates from more than 100 feet from your current location. Sure. So you gotta carry that cup of water for quite a while. <laughs> Uh, and the promises: travel under the water or over land. Foolproof proof protection. Perfectly safe.
0: <laughs> Sign me up.
1: Yeah. And uh, for the delivery of this item, you choose one of these two options. Okay. Your first is the radiant submarine. Okay. The submarine appears in an empty space that is submerged in water. You can't drop out on anyone, Matt.
0: <laughs> Unless they're in the water.
1: <laughs> then it just—it's in the water. Oh, yeah, exactly. I guess,
0: I guess that's not gonna... Yeah. Dang. Uh,
1: the sub is a large vehicle that can uncomfortably, uncomfortably seat up to two medium creatures. The sub travels 20 feet per round with no other acceleration. It doesn't get faster. <laughs> While inside the sub, creatures can breathe and have complete cover. Okay. After 10 rounds or after the sub has moved 100 feet, whichever comes first, the sub begins to decompose and take on water. <laughs> Four <laughs> rounds after this, the sub falls apart, leaving any creatures and cargo inside in empty spaces in the water. The sub is otherwise immune to damage. <laughs> okay, that is
0: brilliant. Yeah, that th- is This really is based
1: good. off of the uh, Polaris submarine. submarine. And uh, the next one is based off of the atomic tank that you could apparently buy that would seat up to two children and really fired and had all this stuff and was just like cardboard.
0: It was the same thing. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. No, that's that's really good. I like your sub though so yeah. far.
1: Okay, so next we have the radiant tank uh-huh. because they were both described as being like a nuclear sub and an atomic tank. <laughs> and we've already determined that for atomic energy is radiant energy when it comes to D&D. Right, so these right. are radiant submarine and tank even though they have nothing to do with radiant damage. That's fine. Yeah, there we go. The tank appears in an empty space on the ground. The tank is a large vehicle that can uncomfortably seat up to two medium creatures. The tank travels 15 feet per round with no other acceleration. While inside the tank, creatures can breathe and have complete cover. A creature inside the tank can fire the tank, wep- or tank cannon weapon as an action. After 10 rounds or after the tank, wep- tank cannon weapon has been fired, whichever comes first, the tank catches on fire. Dealing 1d6 fire damage to all creatures inside uh, for each round. such it's, just it's read, but did not.
0: <laughs> dealing 1d6 fire damage to all creatures inside each round.
1: Gotcha. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, four rounds after this, the tank burns to ashes, dealing 4d6 fire damage to all creatures inside and leaving them in empty spaces. <laughs> the tank is otherwise immune to damage. And then we have the tank cannon attack, which is a ranged weapon attack with a 30-40 range, one target, plus one to hit. It's not very accurate. <laughs> and on a hit, it does 2d6 force damage and 1d6 fire damage.
0: <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Yes. I love that Chris. I'm very happy with those. That those really, really those
1: good. are the best things i made all night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are good. Those, those are good. I'm glad. <laughs> and this is another one where we're just going to keep being able to add goofy shit to that catalog. Yeah. And expanding it. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, um, unfortunately, my last one is kind of a... We're not going out on a bang. We're going out on a fizzle. We're going out on a foot. Yep, we're going out on a foot. I also created a foot.
1: All right. What's your foot, man? Um,
0: this is the Idiot Savant. Okay. It's based off of Ernest. It sure is. <laughs> um, I originally had envisioned doing this based uh, as a subclass Yeah, I remember the, you uh, talking about that. Yeah, specifically for the artificer. Uh-huh. Until I realized that no self-respecting artificer player would build their artificer with a low intelligence... Yeah. Unless they were specifically designing it for that subclass, and even then it would be kind of risky. So I decided
1: your spells wouldn't work very well. It
0: wouldn't it would it would be a disaster. So I was like, you know what? Instead of going with that mess, I'm just gonna make this a feat. Okay. Uh there this feat has a prerequisite. Your intelligence has to have uh excuse me. You must have an intelligence score of no more than eight. If at any point your intelligence increases above eight, you cannot use this feat. Okay. Um You have five savant points that recharge after a long rest. Each time you make an intelligence check or saving throw, you can choose to spend a savant point to add one D6 to your roll. (laughs) You can choose to do this after rolling, but before knowing the result. Okay. All right. And it's just that simple.
1: It's very specific luck points.
0: (laughs) It's very specific luck points. And not even that great. It's just, I I was really kind of hesitant though. I really wanted to make this kind of beefy since you have to have a low intelligence. Um, and I came up with, like, I was thinking of everything from, like, three times per long rest. You, instead of rolling a, an ability check, you can just choose to succeed instead. Right, yeah. Um, but I was like, well, I, one of the philosophies that I have is you do not take rolls away from players. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, I well, that's that. that's not good. Um, I also thought about just making this a straight-up lucky feat with maybe more lucky point luck points. But that felt like a cop-out. Yeah. Um, I thought about... Uh, I that th- and
1: lucky is its own bag of problems. Right,
0: right. I also had considered one where uh, adding having this feat where any time you failed a saving throw or an ability check, the next time you make a check is at advantage, no matter what.
1: Okay, yeah. I thought about doing that, but it was like... That's mm. interesting, and I could see that for a different ability, or for well, like a different feat. My concern to... with
0: that is once players, like you could
1: manipulate, yeah. you
0: could manipulate that in a very bad way
1: yeah it's like, true. like it's oh
0: true. i'm gonna like try to jump straight up and hit the ceiling ah uh, make me roll for it uh, i'm gonna yeah. fail i guarantee you know it's just that yeah. just opens up a whole can of worms that i didn't want to
1: deal with i mean you so. could always gimmick that so that it's like you get advantage on the same skill check right or it's right. like if you if you fail lock picking then your next lock picking check is made at advantage or something right like that. right but even but, that like they're gonna spam it so
0: yeah no so i i could never come up with anything that i felt happy with uh-huh. so i just i made this and i, I think this one works I think out it works fine i was thinking like you know if you have a low intelligence score having the ability to essentially especially... for all intents and purposes get up to a plus five in your intelligence for a single roll.
1: yeah especially on those bad. saving throws right
0: so i figured that would that's just fine yeah no i think so, it works um so that's it. That's that's all I've got. Yeah. Um, that's all I've got. So I did have a few other things that I decided to uh kind of put off until some other time. Okay. Uh, so I do have a few more bullets in the chamber as it were in my uh in my chamber wilted by the big big man. Um but uh but yeah, um thank you so much uh for listening. Um mm-hmm. if you uh, I hope that you continue to listen to this. Um, if you do have any feedback, if this is too crunchy or not crunchy enough, or... was this
1: too much shit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: like please let me know. Um, we Chris and I have been talking a lot on off mic, just trying to figure out how we can uh, better improve the podcast. Mm-hmm. Because no matter what, we do really enjoy doing these. We're having a blast. Yeah, um, it's
1: it's been a wild year. Like it has. If <laughs> I would not have expected us to do this for an entire fucking year.
0: No, and but it's been super fun. I have no intention of. Stopping anytime mm-hmm. soon. Um, but I I would really appreciate some feedback. I, I do want to get better at this. I want to focus this in a little bit more on yeah what people might want to listen to or, uh mm-hmm. might find entertaining. You know, within reason. Um, I'm still gonna
1: stick to the core tenets of this. But well, yeah, yeah, we don't really want to change the format of the podcast too much. I mean,
0: right, right. But uh, but yeah. Um, thank you so much for listening. Um, if you did enjoy this, uh, this kind of just dump of stat blocks. Uh, consider subscribing to our Patreon. Uh, at the $5 level, which is the Swamp Heap level, you get this basically every yep. two weeks, uh, With, albeit at a much smaller...
1: Yeah, we don't... But, this is a special bonus episode. Like I said at the beginning, Like most of the time our episodes are just like three or four things that we've made for that, mo- that particular movie or based off of stuff in that movie. So.
0: Right, but um, but at the same time, if you do subscribe to our $5 level, you get... There's a hell of a backlog at this there's, point. There's yeah. a huge catalog. Um, Every
1: two weeks, you received at least like three to f- three to six items, creatures, feats, subclasses, whatever. lineages. Yeah. That's There's one thing all we didn't do here is a lineage.
0: No, we didn't. Um, but that's okay. Um, but yeah, we've got a we've got a yeah. huge dearth of information, a bunch of stuff. Um, I have made the official decision that I am going to start publishing or putting out the uh, the stat blocks that we okay. create. Um, and putting those out on like D Beyond, I'll put them up on our Twitter and stuff. But I am going to start at Alien and release them every two weeks. So okay. uh, if you subscribe to the Patreon, you're literally going to be a year ahead. Yeah. Uh, so trying to make that worth it five dollars. I don't really like the idea of keeping something behind the paywall indefinitely. So
1: yeah. And I mean, um, if nothing else, like even at that, you'll get the episode, not just the stat blocks. Right. Yeah. yeah. I don't. We're
0: not going to be releasing the episode yeah. to explaining everything. Um, yeah. And, and they can be a lot of fun. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's that's just five dollars a month. Uh, you also get early access to our comics crunch episodes yep. and any other goofy shit that we decide. We've to got do.
1: stuff that we've wanted to do that like we just haven't got around to yet, or haven't um, put the put the screws
0: into yet. Yeah,
1: I, I've got some ideas of other stuff I want to do, so we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, and
0: and uh, Patreons, if you have any suggestions, hit us up. We'll I mean, we're all ears on that. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, look forward to any of that. Um, if you don't. Want to subscribe to our Swamp Heap level, but still would like to support the podcast. Yeah. We do have a $1 level. Help us
1: recoup the cost for renting the movies.
0: Yep. Um And that is the Fur Buddy level. Uh, you don't get anything extra or any bonuses, but it uh-huh. does help support us. We would really greatly appreciate that and love you forever for it. Um
1: and if we get enough people, who knows, we might kick up a Discord or something like that. Uh, yeah, that probably.
0: um Constantly looking to expand this and have a lot of fun with it, mm-hmm. so um and there's there's plenty of things that we can do and plenty of things that we yeah. probably will do so yeah.
1: i mean we've got a year's worth of content now and you know we'll, before too long we'll have two years worth of content That's Right? <laughs> i would
0: say before too long and another year yeah exactly, exactly one year probably exactly one year from this um but yeah uh
1: god so... willing on the creek don't rise <laughs>
0: um so without that uh, other than that Thank you so much, and uh, look forward to a whole other year. We will see you next time.